They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The parable of the laborers in the vineyard is one that teaches us to be on guard against two great temptations. The first is to be as the hired laborers in the vineyard who worked from the very start of the day and received the same denarius as those who started at the 11th hour. We who have labored in the Lord's vineyard all of our lives, we who have suffered the shame of confessing Christ in the midst of a pagan world, we see the thief on the cross We strolled into the kingdom of God at the 11th hour, and we become envious. We who have labored in the Lord's vineyard, we who have spent countless hours setting up chairs, helping with soup suppers, or volunteering for VBS, we see people like the thief on the cross or any other 11th hour Christian or anyone else that we perceive hasn't worked as hard or as long as we have, and we become envious. From our childhood, we cry out, that's not fair. And indeed, from our sinful human flesh, God's grace is not fair. To us, it does not seem fair that an 11th hour Christian, a wicked person, even like the thief on the cross, can simply confess Christ and receive the same gift of eternal life as we but we are to rejoice at such a conversion. We are to give thanks to God who is merciful to that thief just as he has been merciful to us. In the parable, the master of the vineyard says to the grumbling laborers, I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? This temptation to envy leads us to the second great temptation. That is the temptation to apathy. The laborers who worked in the vineyard from the very first hour of the day see the 11th hour laborers receive the same denarius. Why should I then work all day? Maybe I'll stay in the marketplace, enjoy the shade until the 11th hour, and do that tomorrow. After all, I'll receive the same Denarius. Why put any effort into our faith? What's the problem with sleeping in this Sunday? After all, I'll just go next week. What's the problem with drunkenness? What's the problem with pornography? What's the problem with fill in the blank? After all, God loves to forgive us. After all, I have such great confidence in the gospel that I can go on sinning, that grace may abound. Recall what St. Paul writes in the second half of our epistle lesson. The children of Israel were all baptized in the Red Sea. They all had a spiritual supper. They ate the manna from heaven and drank from the spiritual rock, which was Christ. Paul writes, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. Paul writes this as an example and as a warning to us. 
lest we succumb to Satan's temptation to believe that as long as we remember our baptism and come to the Lord's Supper, nothing else in our lives matter. That it doesn't matter how we conduct our lives as Christians. This is indeed a very dangerous mindset. And while it is true that we are saved by grace through faith, apart from any works of our own, to think such of the gifts of God in our lives as a Christian is one that is very, very dangerous. Those who plan to wait to repent until the 11th hour sometimes fall dead at 10.30. Sickness of sin that takes its hold in our lives is one that numbs our souls. One sin turns into two, and two into three, and then before we know it, sin becomes to look, or starts to look less like sin and more like just the way things are. This is not the life that your Lord would have you live, though. He does not desire that you would fall into the snares of sin. He desires that you would live a life of repentance and forgiveness. And this is why we have these, this pre-Lenten season, starting today with Septuagesima, which simply means 70 days. Next week will be Sexagesima and then Quinquagesima, that's a mouthful, following that, 70, 60, and 50. These are just rough approximations until the days of Easter, but today marks two and a half weeks until Ash Wednesday, the 40 days of Lent. And these two and a half weeks serve as kind of an annual checkup for us, just as you would go to your doctor maybe once a year, maybe more often than that as you grow older. You sit down with your doctor, and what does he do? Run some labs, ask you some questions, looks you over, and then having done all that, you come up with a plan. Have you maybe had one too many cookies, one too many beers? Do you maybe have high blood pressure? What are you going to do about it to have a better physical health? This is what these two and a half weeks are all about for us what areas of our spiritual life need a little bit of work. How's my prayer life? My devotional life? Am I feeling envious or apathetic, just like the laborers in the vineyard? What plans will I implement to remedy that? This is a wonderful time of the church here to have such, or to start such a plan, because there's many things that are coming up in the church. Starting this coming Saturday is the new members class, which despite the name is not just for new members, it's for all of you as well. Do you know all the Ten Commandments by heart? Can you recite them by yourself? What about the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, even the words of institution? Can you do all of that by heart? If not, like I think most of us are like that, come to the class next Saturday where we are going to be covering the basics of the faith. Or starting soon, we have the Lenten soup suppers starting on Ash Wednesday. There's sign-up sheets in the narthex where you can sign up and start to get involved in the life of the church. 
There's a Lenten midweek services coming up where we are going to be going through the book of Jeremiah for the sermons. Are there sins that are burdening your consciences? If so, every Thursday morning, starting at 6.30 in the morning, we have scheduled private confession and absolution. You can schedule another time by appointment if necessary. On Thursday mornings, you can come and still have plenty of time to get to work after that. These are just a few of the examples of things that are in the life of the church that you can start to get involved in to implement that plan for your Lenten journey. This journey, though, this plan of yours is one that is going to require discipline, just like every aspect of your life as a Christian requires discipline. Without discipline, our sinful human nature takes hold quite quickly. This is why St. Paul in our epistle lesson for today likens the life of a Christian to being an athlete. Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives a prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Our lives are that of an athlete, whether that's a runner or a boxer. For either of these sports or any sport for that matter, it requires discipline and training. No athlete just goes out and competes without having trained beforehand. They discipline their bodies. They train. They wake up in the morning to start the workout even though the warm bed is quite tempting. For they know that missing one workout turns into missing two, turns into missing three, and before you know it, you're out of shape quite quickly. The life of a Christian requires Discipline, and it won't be easy, but discipline is required and discipline is good. Where do we even begin though? For one, we discipline our bodies by not succumbing to the temptation to sleep in on Sunday mornings, as you all have fought that temptation this morning and come here today. How do we fight against our sinful human nature? We look in the Catechism and see what Luther had to write about this. And he says, In the morning when you get up, make the sign of the Holy Cross and say, In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Then kneeling or standing, repeat the creed and the Lord's Prayer. And then when evening comes, repeat the same things again. Now this may seem like a lot to start off with, but maybe just start off by making the sign of the cross, both in the morning and the evening, and then build up from there. But what a beautiful reminder this is and how this is going to reshape our lives if we begin and end each day with a remembrance of our baptism, reciting the Apostles' Creed, the Our Father. Each day begun and ended by reminding us that we are baptized children of God how that reshapes 
and reframes our day and our fight against our sinful human nature by doing such a thing. But we do all of this knowing that our God has been one who has won this race before. The author of Hebrews writes, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We have a God who has run this race beforehand, who has finished that race, who has been tempted in every respect as we have been, and yet without sin. He is that one who is crowned with a wreath of thorns to give to us that imperishable wreath, the gift of eternal life with him and his kingdom. This is what awaits at our life's end. For those who believe death is the finish line and that prize that is waiting is already ours through the blood of Christ, our Savior. And so we run this race, knowing what lies ahead, but we don't run aimlessly. We run with discipline, training our bodies for this race that lies ahead for us. This race won't be easy. Life isn't easy. Maybe it's already beaten you down. Maybe you've begun to ask yourselves those tough questions and you're despairing. But know where your medicine lies. Know that the antidote to that despair, the antidote to that envy, that apathy, and all of your sins is right here at this altar. The Lord's Supper doesn't have to be a feast for everyone. For some, and for some times in your life, it may be a feast. But for other times, you may simply come to this altar for strength, to help run that race. The strength to fight against those temptations that have their grasp on you. And what better medicine and the very blood of God being poured onto your lips, cleansing your innermost depths. And if you are as that 11th hour laborer and have tarried in the marketplace until the 11th hour, you haven't heeded your master's call to go out into the, la- into the vineyard and labor, hear these words from Chrysostom. If any have tarried even until the eleventh hour, let him also be not alarmed at his tardiness. For the Lord, who is jealous of his honor, will accept the last, even as the first. He gives rest unto him who comes at the eleventh hour, even as unto him who has wrought from the first hour. Enter you all into the joy of your Lord, and receive your reward, both the first and likewise the second. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We stand.